This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Dina Toriello. Dina has held the drum chair for several Broadway and off-Broadway productions, including Little Shop of Horrors, Kristen Chenoweth, For the Girls, and Head Over Heels. Before her Broadway chapter, she spent 20 years as a touring rock drummer. Her main gig was Antigone Rising, and she also performed with Rob Thomas, Bernie Worrell, The Go-Go's, Anita Cochran, Lisa Loeb, and Robert Randolph. This episode is sponsored by Sonatus USA. Get it right at the source is the most common advice we hear about recording drums. Tuning and mic placement are a great place to start, but what shouldn't be overlooked is the space you're playing in. The time and energy it takes to work up and record a great performance shouldn't be wasted in a sonically bad environment. Investing in a proper blend of absorption, diffusion, and bass traps will improve the quality of your recordings just as much as the investments you make in your playing instruments and recording equipment. Whether you're tracking, rehearsing, mixing, or just practicing, having a great sounding room is essential. Sonatus USA provides the products and consultation to get your drums sounding the best they can in whatever space you're working with. Check them out at sonatususa.com. That's S-O-N-I-T-U-S-U-S-A.com. And you can also hear acoustician Anthony Grimani of Sonatus talking with Matthew Krauss about all things sound treatment in episodes 306, 308, and 313. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. So this is another unique career path we're going to hear about here, even though Dina spent most of her adult life as a touring rock drummer. Playing on Broadway was something she had wanted to do since she was a kid, and it's a cool story about how that happened and the show that got her there. So here we go, that and much more with Dina Toriello. It'll be two years in August that I started at Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, it's an off-Broadway production with a star-studded cast. And uh, it was just so much fun. And we were having a blast and the show was going great. And then this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's been it's been a long year plus and by the time we get back to work, I imagine it'll be really like a year and a half. But we are set to reopen on September 21st, which okay. is very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, many of the, the the cast that was in the show at the time of the shutdown will be returning. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's great news as well. You know, it was sort of weird. You know, you just kind of like leave. Like I left the theater and I left my coffee mug and my water, you know, <laughs> thing next to my, my throne and my booth. And, right. you know, my usual, my usual routine is I get in and I clean everything out and I, you know, pour my coffee and get ready to go. And like, it was just left <laughs> like suspended in time. Right. You know? So like you left, you left one night and the next day it was like, uh, nobody's coming back. Word. Right. Whoa, man. And, and then, uh, you know, when, one extension rolled into another extension and it became obvious that we weren't going to be going to back back to work anytime soon. Yeah. I made arrangements to go into the theater. I mean, obviously, you know, my stuff is situated and mic'd and, 
you know, all that stuff. So I can't really pull drums out of there. But I took my cymbals, put, 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 took my cymbals down and I brought sheets with me and I just covered, covered my kit and took my coffee mug. Oh, <laughs> and went wow. Home. That's so sad. <laughs> just like putting, was, putting the drums to bed to hibernate for the pandemic. Right, totally. Right. <laughs> totally. It was so bizarre. And the theater, it was, it was like, the apocalypse. It yeah. was just weird, you know, like everything was sort of left. I actually had um, like my cast, my poster that the the cast had signed and I had, I was waiting for one more person and I put it in, you know, the board out in, outside the men's dressing room in the hallway with a note, like, please sign for Dina. And I was waiting for like one more person to sign it. And it was still just hanging uh, <laughs> right where I left it. It was wow. just weird. Is it still there so right bizarre. now? I, I took it home with me. Okay, good. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, the one person who needed to sign it will not have the opportunity because it's since been framed and it's hanging on my wall upstairs. So <laughs> I got all but one. It's right. as good as it's going to get. Right, right. He missed his chance. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, <sighs> so, like, wh- what was what was your? I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about about the pandemic and what musicians have been doing, and and you know. Uh, some of us have sort of like switched gears and some of us have been yeah. scrambling. Um, yeah. what, like in, when it became clear that like, you're not going back to work at the theater for a while. Um, what did you do? Uh, well, I, we, we were, my wife and I were in the middle of a home renovation oh, at wow. the time. We took we took the opportunity knowing that we would be here for a while. We had planned on doing work here anyway, so um, we own a home in in South Jersey. So when I'm not working and I t- take any time off from doing shows, we come here. Mm-hmm. And after the after the shutdown happened, we were in a, a lease on an apartment up north, and we got out of the lease and we just we came here and we've been here ever since. So uh, the upside in all of this is that you know we got to spend unexpected time here at the house. Yeah. We were able to do things that we planned on doing and we were here to oversee it and we had the time to do it. So that actually was a really good, you know, initial refocus of my energy and, and my, you know, my mind, because it was obviously upsetting. And then, you know, when the dust sort of settled on a lot of that, I was able to, you know, transition as many of us had into doing um, virtual, virtual work. You uh-huh. know, I, I I developed a clinic that I was pitching uh, to schools. So throughout the school year, I was doing these virtual clinics on how uh, sort of my topic was how my 20 years plus as a touring rock musician actually prepared me for a career on Broadway. Yeah. And uh, it was really well received and I had a blast doing that. And um, so was was that a thing? Was that a thing that you had been doing like live in person that you had to retool for the virtual thing? Or did you just build it on the virtual platform? I actually had built it and pitched it to PASIC last year. I was hoping to be chosen to to present at PASIC. Yeah. And, and then when they went virtual, they pared everything way down. I think they only had like four or five people, you know, do clinics. So, you know, that didn't work out. But I had sort of originated the idea. I never had the chance to do it in person. So then I just was like, well, how can I make this work virtually? I got what I needed and, you know, got myself up and running and and started doing it the first chance i had to do it was over the summer um for caldwell university they do a percussion uh week-long percussion camp and they were doing or clinic and they were doing it virtually yeah and that was my first chance to sort of do it and i got really good feedback and the the director of the the camp who's a high school teacher said you know this would like schools being what they are now, this would be great. You should, you know, roll this out. So I just started cold calling, you know, via email, just sending stuff and outlines and, you know, bios and all that kind of stuff in a brief intro. And I got some responses and, you know, started kind of rolling with that. And then more recently got into doing some virtual recording. So I've been, you know, doing some remote, some remote work built a little, you know, a home studio here and been doing some work out of the house. Yeah, so, same, same. Yeah, I mean, like all of us, we've had to pivot and shift and make the best of it. So. Yeah, 
So when it came to um, like constructing that virtual clinic, like was there a learning curve with uh, with technology or with the platform? Like, are you on Zoom? How are you shooting this? How are you miking it? Like, what did what did what are you doing there? There was a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, you know, I, I sort of joke with my dad. My dad always refers to himself as Mr. High Tech because he's like the worst with anything technology. <laughs> and, you know, I always say, yeah, the apple didn't fall far. You know, right. it's, it was a steep, a steep learning curve for me because I've never been that person to just get all into the tech stuff. So I've, I've had to learn. And um, I have a, a good friend who happens to be really good at that. And he was very gracious with his time. And he suggested, you know, some things to start with. And I did some test runs with him and make, make sure all the technology was up and running. And yeah, uh, I, I also have that friend who <laughs> donated yeah, to, a, a lot of his time and patience. <laughs> they're, they're good. They're good to have. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but, and then I, you know, I did some test runs with my wife upstairs, you know, making sure things were working and just, yeah. you know, t- tweaking sound and tweaking camera angles. So to your question, I have like, um, an AV, an audiovisual like station, a tray that I have gear on. Um, and I have my laptop on a, a top tray that rolls in and out. Uh-huh. So when I'm, when I'm talking to the class, I'm looking into the laptop and then when I go to play and I do a performance section, I switch. I have an, sort of an over-the-left-shoulder downward camera angle. So when I per- perform, I switch to that so they can see my hands and they can see my feet and they can see actually what I'm playing. Right. And then they're looking directly at me when I talk. So Is that like a I foot a, switch or something? No, it's you have to just do it through Zoom or through oh, most of it. the schools okay. because of a lot of the, uh, the invasions on Zoom. It's not super secure. The schools mm. prefer to use... Google Meets. So then I had to, I did my first thing on Zoom and I got used to Zoom and then I had to shift gears and figure out the differences between that and, and Google. Yeah. So that was a, like a quick learning curve. But I also developed a PowerPoint. So like while I'm running through it, the kids can see, you know, the PowerPoint stuff on the screen and, right. you know, it was all this, all this cool stuff. So it seemed to work really well for a, a virtual situation. And again, I got good feedback. So I was happy to be able to do it. And, you know, any opportunity like that to to be connected to theater, even in this capacity, was good for my spirit and good, you know, good for my soul and giving back to the community and, you know, t- trying to help the the youth and, you know, kind of give them a heads up on what's, you know, what's going right. on out there. And are you are you presenting this to like music students or just sort of random high school like as a uh, sort of arts uh, exposure type thing no they were all music students the challenge in that is some of them were just you know chorus kids and so you know it was like the whole the music department at large so it wasn't just wasn't just drummers wasn't just you know but the nice thing about it is you know which I would obviously explain to them at the top of the the session although this is uh, you know, the drums are my vehicle, my mechanism. It, this applies to not only other instruments, but to life in general. There were a lot of life lessons in there, which I think also made it appealing for teachers, you know, to bring their kids in on it. So right. it seemed seemed to work. Cool, cool. So that, I yeah. mean, that sounds like an avenue for you going forward. Like, yeah. And it, it's something you really enjoy. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, holy shit, I have to do something. Let's do this. <laughs> totally. Totally. I really loved it. It was great. Really um, great. So, so, uh, you know, without, uh, uh, given the whole clinic, um, <laughs> you know, you spent, you spent 20 years as a, just a touring rock drummer. Um, mm-hmm. so talk a little bit about, I, I was, was Antigone rising kind of the, the, um, the, the main act in that period of your life? It was. I spent a couple of years also um, working with Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, he would do um, more like private show kind of things, and he would do a stripped-down version of his band. And, I, you know, I did I did shows with him for about a two-year period in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Fly dates, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Santigone was sort of the, the hardcore, rough road dog years. <sighs> right. Uh Van and trailer mostly, a few bus tours, but mostly van and trailer, just hard, hard stuff, you know, yep. pre, pre-record deal, we were doing like 260 shows a year. Whoa. You know? Yeah, it was, we were, we were crazy. Yeah. 
<laughs> we were we were crazy. I, I like that you were like. I, I was wondering what word you were going to come up with. Like, yeah, we were we were really hungry, or yeah, we were young, and we and you were like, no, we were just fucking crazy. <laughs> well, cr- crazy hungry, yeah. crazy crazy. You know, a lot of crazy in there, but yep. in the be- in the best way possible. But we just we knew that's what we had to do, and you know, we built it and eventually you know got the record deal and and did all that all that great stuff too but those early years were really really where a lot of this learning came from you know playing when you're exhausted mm-hmm. and you know learning how to function under pressure and you know things like that is sort of what transitioned and learning how to be in a band you know a lot the interesting thing about broadway is and you get sort of two two schools of thought from the people that i've talked to you have sort of the old i'll call them the old timers the ones who have kind of been in the theater industry for a long time and they you know they came out of conservatories or you know whatever their experience was and they were road dogs they toured they were doing all that stuff and then they sort of got into broadway and they spent a lot of years after they sort of you know, develop their, their chops and their, their, their gig sense, you know, being in a band and and doing all that stuff. But now it's shifted, you know, because the music industry has changed so much, I think, and, and younger musicians are now looking at Broadway as, oh, it's a steady gig. Yep. Unless you're, unless you're in a pandemic, then not so steady. (laughs) But, um, but otherwise, you know, you have eight shows a week and you, as long as your show's running, you know that you have work and that's a really appealing and attractive thing for a lot of people. And so I think now people are coming out of school and looking to get right into Broadway. And again, what I talk about with this clinic is that, you know, learning how to be in a band, learning how to listen and and take visual cues and, you know, all those things are important. And I had a situation at head, when I was at Head Over Heels, which was my first Broadway show, where the, the monitor feed and the very top of act two completely crapped out. Mm. And I was in a booth, literally a cement room with nothing, two floors below the rest of the band who were all on a platform and they could all see the music director. So they could get cues from her in real time. Oh God. I was, I was by myself in this, I call it the bomb shelter because there were no (laughs) windows. It was just like a brick, brick room, you know? Right, right. And the video feed went out and I was like, Holy shit! I always wondered if this ever happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it happens. Here so it was your, it was your video feed, like not your ears. Correct. Oh shit! I don't know which would be Correct. worse. Exactly. <laughs> Neither is a dream, quite honestly. Oh. So, you know, I had to do a lot of quick thinking and and work on the fly. And you know, my my MD was able, uh, you know, obviously to you know use her talkback mic to give, you know, audible cues and you know count-ins and all that stuff and instead of relying on you know the hand stuff you you had to rely on on all verbals and for the most part it was fine but there were a couple big like big finish you know fermata moments with like a big button and like if i can't see i can't i was like do i i can't hit the button this is what i'm thinking in like a three second period well i can't really go for the button because if it's out of time then it's going to be like you know a total yeah train wreck and i'll just go big and then like fade you know right. I'll just like come pull myself out right you know? like like homer and, into the bushes just <laughs> yeah so and, and it worked thankfully so you know those are the things that without road experience you're kind of left for like I don't know what to do with this, right? You know, and thing things happen to us on the road. Obviously, you know, you tour as much as as we did, and you play the number of shows that we did, and stuff's bound to go wrong. Oh yeah. So it's it's a great learning learning curve, and we did a lot of crazy things. Like when I said crazy, one of the things that comes to mind is we had a show in Albany. The next day, a show in North Carolina Whoa. with like a six. O- with like a six o'clock load in, oh, so we 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 slept for like maybe three hours and just drove all you know, and then you're like we're loading our own gear and we're setting up our own stuff and you know stuff like that. So, and then and not to play the gender card, but an all female rock band, we would get the raised eyebrow every time we walked into a venue, and you know soundmen th- thought we couldn't play our instruments and you know, we always had to be able to perform. We were always under a microscope, even during sound checks. Yeah. We we walked into a venue once and like after driving all day, we were to the sound guy, can we get some water? No. I was Jesus. like, okay. So yeah. our lead singer looked at, looked at us like, but bring it, 
during sound check and right. we like blow the door we blow the doors off the place and then he's like oh you guys need dinner you need water like what do you you know it was so obvious that he thought Fuck. we were going to just be a joke you right, know so right. we always had to be able to you know prove ourselves and and perform under pressure and all that stuff and with theater obviously you know, you can't really have a bad night. You know, everybody on stage is relying on you, especially being the drummer, right. obviously, all the choreography and all the, the dance breaks and the hits and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, you can't phone it in. You got to show up every night. Yeah. You know? So those are some of the some of the parallels and the correlations that I talk about, you know, in the clinic. But so yeah. you experienced that kind of sexism as a band. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, that that put pressure on you to, like, bring it every time. And, you know, you have to prove yourselves twice as much as a male band would have to. Have you have you run into that uh, just on a on an individual level uh, since then, Uh, like in, you know, in any of your Broadway gigs or anywhere else? Um. No, I, I mean, I don't think I would be hired for the gig if they didn't if they didn't think that you know, I was capable of, of bringing it. I mean, there's so many people in the industry, you know, in the Broadway community who are ridiculously good. Right. Um, and I continue to learn from those people every day. Cause I know that I have a lot to learn. I'm, I'm new to this, you know, to this, to this side of the business and mm-hmm. I love it and it's challenging and it's wonderful. So given that there's a, a pretty, you know, it's, it's a narrow pool, but it's, it's a hearty pool. You know, there are pe- there are obviously, not just one person for, you know, for every show, there's, there's more than that. So there's people to choose, there's people to choose from yet. It's still a a hard, you know, industry to break into. So I don't, I think if, if they were frowning upon me for being a female, I wouldn't have been hired. But that being said, there are very few of us Mm -hmm. on Broadway. Yeah. I was going to ask like, is, is, is the Broadway musicians, uh, you know, community as much of a boys club as I think it is? Yes, but it's changing. They're they're making um, a concerted effort to be more inclusive, mm-hmm. not just with gender, but you know, with minorities across the board, women, people of color, you know, all all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely finally on Broadway Broadway's radar, you know, at large. Yeah, and um, and they're they're really mindful of it, and I think you know it's it's being addressed. Yeah. You know, and and I had this conversation with somebody else on another podcast and, and, you know, the question posed to me at that time was, okay, so if it's like, you know, do you think you should be hired, meaning me, uh-huh. over, you know, any rattled off other other big Broadway drummers who don't have shows right now, like Sean McDaniel and Warren Odes and Clint Gannon and Ray Marchica and whoever, like, the you know, the big name drummers in the Broadway community. And it was sort of like, you know, do you think just because you're a female, you know, you should get it over them? And it's not a matter of, you know, should you get the show? That that to me isn't 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 going to fix anything. It's like, are you seriously at least considering me for the show? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I've been reading, cause I love following all the, the, the playbill articles about, um, you know, what shows are in production and what shows are being, you know, worked on and all this stuff. And there's supposedly a Pat Benatar musical that's wow. coming to Broadway at some point. And like, I grew up playing along to all that stuff. You know, like I love my Myron Grumbacher is one of my favorite, you know, he was one of my biggest influences as a kid playing along to those records and all that stuff. So I think I at least based upon my background and my experience as a rock drummer and, you know, my legit ability in that, I think I should at least be considered. I'm not saying hire me just because I'm I'm a woman. I deserve to be hired. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Right. But but at least to give me serious consideration is is really what the dialogue should be about, you know yeah, what I mean? Totally. Totally. What, so, you know, right, rightly or wrongly, when I think of, um, Broadway musicians, uh, I think of a bunch of old white union dudes, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm sure that was the case at, at some point, but like you said, it's, it's, uh, yeah, changing and especially totally. in the last couple of years. Totally. Um, totally. So like, <laughs> you know, I like not only that, but like in tuxes, I think of old white union dudes in tuxes. I don't like, you know, playing woodblocks and shit.
how and why did the transition from like touring rock drummer to stay at home Broadway drummer happen? It was, it's a great question. It it was sort of a, a gradual progression. Um, things with Antigone had changed. You know, we had member changes and lineup changes. And then a couple of the members of the band had children. So they became moms mm-hmm. and touring, obviously, you know, when you're pregnant and then when you're, you know, a new mom is really not an option. So, you know, we had our our career arc had shifted a little bit. And during during that time period, I obviously, you know, I had been working as a full-time musician and I wasn't a mom and I didn't have other things. I wanted to continue to work. So I uh, I had always wanted to work on Broadway and it was just like such a mystery to me that, you know, how one breaks into it and how that happens. So I had started reaching out to some friends of mine who were playing shows and I wanted to go sit and watch and just kind of get my head around it a little bit more and um, understand it and see if it was something that I thought that I could do or wanted to do. And I had the opportunity to do that with a few shows and I started putting feelings out that I'm interested and would love to sub and would love a show. And, you know, and a couple of years went by and nothing happened. And then literally like I flipped my laptop top open one morning with my coffee and there was an email offering me a show. Wow. <laughs> like, that's how it happened. Yeah, yeah. And after I picked myself up off the floor, I, uh, I, of course, re- responded, yes, I'm interested, and yes, I'm available. And, and it was, you know, and I, I, I sort of jokingly say for all the gigs I lost over the years for being a female, I finally got one hmm. for being a female drummer. And it was head over heels, and it's, it was all the music of the Go-Go's, mm-hmm. and the way the show was was devised there was a reveal at the end of the show and the band was seen on stage you know as the scrim raised there's the band on a platform and they wanted the band to be all female oh how cool yeah and the band was ridiculous it was so much fun yeah amazing musicians like good hang like it was just the great and everybody in the show was amazing it was just so much fun that sounds so cool because like the the go-go's i mean that was that was an all-female band right so like the show Mm -hmm. is telling the story of this all-female band um well it it wasn't it it was it was a jukebox musical in that the music of the go-go's was used to tell a completely story it's completely different story it wasn't the the story of the go-go's it was just the music of the go-go's got it got it but nonetheless they wanted to be authentic to the music yeah yeah yeah, that's super cool totally it was great and so um interestingly enough i got the call because the music supervisor the music director like nobody knew any female drummers at least they wanted people with like a a pure rock pedigree Mm -hmm. you know right and nobody knew anybody so through you know the the music contractor who i had met previously um when I went to watch my friend Sammy Marandino play at Kinky Boots, <laughs> and Sammy reminded this contractor about me that mm-hmm. you had met her and you should definitely call her. She's the one. She's the one. Give her a call. Right. And I got the call. Yeah. So you know that speaks to how small you know how few women there are not only playing Broadway but certainly you know not from a rock background. But that's but that's changing. And I speak about this too in the in the clinic. How, you know, to your point about old white dudes with like wood blocks and playing timpani and <laughs> yeah, yeah. not that that not that the orchestral stuff doesn't exist still, but the, the the game has definitely changed and it's skewed way more to pop rock music. When you look at, you know, a lot of the big musicals now on Broadway, obviously Hamilton, right. Dear Evan Hansen, you know, Moulin Rouge, like all these shows are are pop rock, you know, focused and jukebox musicals being you know, the majority of what we get now, they're, you know, music of Tina Turner and music, you know, by Cindy Lauper and music ABBA by, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, and, you know, it's, it's just what's the shift has happened. So right. people like me who can read, obviously that's the caveat. Also a huge emphasis of my clinic, like it or not kids, you know, it's like, it's like eating your vegetables. You don't like to do it, but you got to do it. If yeah. you want, if you yeah. want to, if you want to, if you want to do this, you got to read, you know, so you have to, you have to balance both things. You got to be able to read the more diverse you can be, obviously the better because sometimes you have doubles 
you might be asked to, you know, do some, you know, light hand percussion or some mallets or, you know, things of that nature. But And a lot of musicals first, these days, sorry to interrupt, but like tons of musicals just run the gamut, like in the first act alone, stylistically, you know, yeah. there'll be like yes. a rock tune and a Latin tune and a swing tune and a funk tune. And, you know, especially if it's some kind of period thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of the one... I don't know if it's the one area, but it's it's definitely one of the areas where, um, you know, uh, diversifying yourself stylistically um, really, really helps. Because we've had this conversation uh, a lot about how, you know, we're we're told as young drummers, like, you have to learn every style. You have to get good at every style. And, um, and I think that can lead to drummers becoming uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Right. Like if you don't if you don't commit yourself to a small number of things that you are really fucking into and that you just love, then you you might not sound uh, like really, really great. Um, it's like what yeah. I guess uh, Kenny Kenny Aronoff said in a clinic, uh, like you could have you could have 10 C plus grooves or you could have three <laughs> A plus grooves, you know. Right. Um, right. But the you know, the Broadway thing, the musical thing. um, is where one area where I think, you know, being able to do a bunch of different stuff convincingly uh, is kind of table stakes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard, you know, it's like if you're if you're reading stuff out of a book and you're studying stuff, you're not really going to be authentic with it unless you've been able to apply it. And that's that's the challenge, I think, for a lot of people is where where do I really get get legit with this? Right. So, and to me, um, I had the, op- the first show that I sat and watched, I watched In the Heights. Right. I watched Andreas Ferrero play In the Heights. And that was so mind-blowing to me. He's an intense of- dude, man. Like, I interviewed him, like, two years ago. And just what, what an intense badass he is. He's, <laughs> like, he's, re- he's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, And I, I've obviously sat and watched him play Hamilton as well. Right. And... Um, We've been we've been friends for a number of years and he wow. Oh my God. Like it was it was mind blowing, not just stylistically what he was doing, because he is authentic, because he he he's played, legitimately played all the styles that he's been required to play in each of those two shows. Yep. Which is why he's so brilliant at playing the both of those shows. But just the amount of um musicality in in creating the book, you know, incorporating um, all that stuff in the Heights in particular, he was doing, he was doing a lot of stuff. They yeah. had a percussionist because off Broadway, he was doing everything. And then when they went to Broadway, they hired a percussionist, but he still did a lot of stuff. And I remember watching one moment, he was like, had a, like a stick under an arm, shaking something, page turn, right-handed single fill while he, I was like, you need like four more arms to do half of what you're yeah, doing, you know? Yeah. It was intense, but but yes, to the point of authenticity, that's a really good example. And of, he, you know, you know how, how he got, um, you know, sort of married up with, with In the Heights and Hamilton um, is really not unlike how you got tapped for um, the, the Go-Go show because it's like, right. the, you know, this is what you do. This is your blood type. This kind of playing is just what I've been doing my whole fucking life. And totally. put me in the pit. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. An, another another aspect of, of playing in musicals that a lot of musicians maybe don't consider until, like, they're faced with it is the fact that um, – for a lot of these now, like you're going to be on stage for at least part of the time in a costume, yep. like yep. you are going to be part of the story. Um, and you know, having, having played at Disneyland for five years, um, nothing scares me anymore, but I think for, for a lot of, uh, for a lot of musicians, like they, they find that out and they're like, Oh, I mean, it's a different skill to be on stage in a costume. Of course you're on stage in a band, you know, if you're playing a, uh, in a rock club or whatever, but like to be part of telling a story in that way is not something that, that a lot of musicians have to deal with. Did, did you come up against that? Did that come kind of naturally to you? No, it was, it was totally fine. Uh, you know, for head over heels, we were just up there for 
um, kind of like the the bows and the we were just rocking out, you mm-hmm. know, the bows and the and the exit music. So we just could be a rock band. It wasn't it wasn't anything where we were specifically integrated into like they weren't Jersey Boys or you know things like that. Where the, it's like the band on stage doing things. Right. Like I think it is at the Tina Turner show. You know, mm-hmm. I think that it's like Ike's band on stage. So I think that's maybe a different vibe when it's during the course of the show, as opposed to us at the end, just being like, Hey, here we are. And, you know, we're going to rock out and have fun. So that, that wasn't a big deal, but I did do uh, Kristen Chenoweth, who was the original uh, Glinda and wicked for mm-hmm. those who may not know the name uh, did a show in November of 2019. And I was, I was her drummer for that uh, for that two week period. It was a, a short run and it was, essentially her it was a concert on stage with a right. little bit of a little bit of um dialogue and some brief little set type scene stuff but basically we were on on stage doing a concert and after you know being in a pit prior to that and not really doing a lot of like performance stuff cuz i've you know been in a pit for so long, you know the last couple of years it was sort of interesting to transition back to being on stage again and like, Oh, people right. <laughs> I'm like I'm part of this thing here. And like, you know, and that to me was a little different than just playing a concert, you know, being in a band and playing a concert because we were backing her and there were specific moments where, you know, we had to be really still or we had to interact or we had to, you know, it was a little more than just, yeah, you know, being in a band and that was really cool, but it was so much fun to be in front of an audience again. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was, and so, so, so speaking of like, you know, having to do more than, than be in a band, um, one of the things that I love about playing a musical is that you're like, instead of just being in a band, you're now part of this huge machine huge, with tons of people from dozens of disciplines, um, all just sort of like churning to put this show out. Um, so when you, when you kind of like entered the, the musical world, um, what what was your experience of sort of like putting what you do in the context of this larger picture with all these other people and all these other disciplines and how they all sort of like interlock and intersect? That's such a great question because uh, it really, you know, I grew up, peop- I was talking to a, uh, another Broadway drummer once we went out for coffee and he he was like, how do you like this? And I'm like, oh my God, I love it. He's like, really? He's like, you're a rocker. You like playing Broadway? And I was like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> I love this. I grew up a theater nerd and my mom was really into theater. And from the time I was 10 or 11, you know, she started bringing us into the city. I grew up in a suburb, like a half hour out, outside of the city in New Jersey. And I had the opportunity at a really young age to sit front orchestra, look into the pit and and think, I want to do that one day. That looks so cool. Yeah, you know, and I loved, yeah. I loved musical theater. So to be on the inside of it now and with head over heels, be in the room on day one of rehearsal and watch this whole, to, to your point, this giant machine be, be brought to life and watch it built piece by piece by piece. And to be such a, a little part of that and watch it happen was like, I just floated out of the the studio every day. I couldn't believe that I had the opportunity to do this. Truly, it was really, you know. And people will ask me like, what what's the greatest thing, you know, in your career? What's your highlight? And I think they think I'm going to say opening for the Rolling Stones, and I'm like Broadway, like totally Broadway. Yeah. You know, it's it's been amazing. I really really love it and feel so incredibly blessed. So to walk into the room and never having done a show before, I definitely. I observed a lot. You know, I tried to take cues from whatever was happening. I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know really what was expected or what I was supposed to do or how to, how to navigate it. I just kind of went through it moment by moment. And, um, my friend Sammy gave me really good advice going in because I wouldn't have thought of this necessarily, but he was like, bring in some towels. They're going to rent you a back line, bring in some towels to keep your drums quiet. Nobody's going to want to hear you like blasting over every, you know, and I, cause obviously I would have thought to play quietly, but then you're in your head about that, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, don't be too loud. Don't do this. Don't do that. So, you know, just muting everything a little bit and being really sensitive to dynamics and being there to support initially, because the other thing 
that I was sort of given a heads up to was it's not going to be about you. They're not going to be micromanaging your drum part. Are you playing the ink? Are you doing this correctly? You're just there to support and help get things up and running and, you know, let the music director focus on everybody else and get them situated. And then they'll, she'll be a little more worried about you. So you have a little bit of breathing room. You have a little bit of time to acclimate and get your feet wet. So really it was about being a small piece of that bigger machine and just support and do what you're asked and do it with a smile on your face. Not that I wouldn't anyway, but you know, be a a team, be a team player. Yeah. Because it's a much um, bigger team now. (laughs) Way bigger team. I mean, it's funny, you know, drummers can be self-deprecating and how it's like, you know, we're, you know, all the, all the drummer jokes and all the crap that we have to hear all the time. But put that, put that into the context of a Broadway musical, you really don't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that to be self-deprecating, but just to make the point that we are such it's there's so many moving parts your head would just explode watching it all happen and seeing all the people and it truly is like it takes a village to put a show it takes a village like it's it's the truest meaning of that really Mm -hmm. yeah it's awesome um another um sort of uh adjustment that that people have to make when they start doing theater shows if if they don't have experience like following a conductor <laughs> you know especially if they come from the rock world i mean i think the the musical um model is uh basically classical right it's like an ensemble following a conductor and we you know yeah. we, we call it the musical director but it's like it's that model of like one yep. person is steering this ship and the rest of you are taking cues Literally. So what was, what was your experience? I mean, you, you obviously spent like two decades just in the rock world, which can just be the fucking wild West. Um, (laughs) but before that, like in terms of your education or your training, like, did you, did you get experience with a conductor or with any classical or like a jazz ensemble or what, what was your background there? My background was really limited in that I had done, you know, school band stuff in, in high school and middle school and grammar school. And that's as far back as it went for me. Like I was super far removed from following a conductor and I continue to focus on that. Like to me, that's the, that's the hardest part of doing a show for me, you know, is really, is really understanding each music director and how they conduct a show because everyone's different. And you know, learning their ictus and their, you know, their cutoff and their all, all those right. nuances. <laughs> and then compounded by the fact that with, you know, understanding that orchestra sizes have gotten much smaller, primarily, well, it's twofold. I think shows just don't want to spend the money on it anymore, first and foremost, which is why Ableton has now come into the fold. And, you know, you're, a lot of shows are running with tracks and click and all that stuff. Yeah. But the fact that they're largely pop rock based, right? So you have sort of the quintessential, you know, guitar based drums, piano. So, and, and, you know, baton conductors like pretty much don't exist anymore in theater. Right. They're playing, they're playing piano and conducting you, you know, so you'll get a head nod or you'll get maybe, you know, a half a beat lead in, you're not going to get a full bar, you know, count in and stuff. Yeah. You're now that, now that you mentioned boom. that, like it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, bred this, this new, um, you know, prototype of, of band leader, uh, who is usually a pianist or a keyboardist, but like yep. this, this super hybrid, super high level skill that, that people have developed of being, being able to play and lead a band and conduct the performers on stage, like all at the same time, you know, yep. uh, when, when you see somebody who does it well and like, they're easy to follow. Uh, I, I have gained uh, a lot of appreciation for those people. Cause I just, I can't imagine that skill. It's yeah. just, it's amazing. It's crazy, right? It's yeah. totally crazy. Having to, having to worry about all that is like, you think we think we have it bad, you know, sitting behind a kit, but they, you know, and then sort of driving the bus, you know, we're taking the cues from them, but ultimately, you know, we're still as a drummer, it's like, that's what everybody hears and everybody's following. And, you know, it's a lot on us too, but they have it way worse than we do, which is why in regard to the Ableton stuff, they don't, most of the shows, 
the drummer has to do it or the percussionist. The MDs have way too much to worry about that right. they're like, uh-uh, I'm tapping out. I'm yep. not doing that too. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm drawing the line somewhere. Yeah. So, right, have you been which, Have you been running Ableton for any of these shows? At Little Shop, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And was, yep. That, was that a learning curve? Completely. Yeah. Had never had to do that before. So, but again, having been through the process with Head Over Heels and knowing what rehearsals are like, I knew that I wouldn't have to program it. You know, they right. have programmers for all this stuff. So the drummers never have to deal with getting their sounds when it comes to electronics. Um, at least I don't know of anybody who's had to worry about that. Right. As far as I know, much like they program all the keyboard sounds for a show, you know, there's there's one, pretty much one guy on Broadway who's, you know, working all these shows and, you know, handling all this stuff. I don't know how he does it, but Randy Cohen. And uh, so Randy did... Um, well, we rented the the pads from him, but we had somebody else uh, do the Ableton programming. A drummer actually did the programming for that, and then I just have to trigger it. So I knew that I would have time in rehearsals to get myself acclimated. Mason Ingram, who who did all of the uh, the programming, came into rehearsal and walked me through, you know, how it works and how to do it, and I got my feet wet all during the rehearsals. And then, you know, the band's not in, it's just me and the music director. So again, I could kind of inch my way through that and get comfortable. And then by the time the band got introduced, I kind of knew what I was doing and felt okay about it. Yeah, I I think a lot of drummers, uh, myself included, are are intimidated by Ableton. And like, I've I've learned a little bit of it. But but for the most part, I sort of like tried to reckon with it and just like skipped off its atmosphere. Um, But I I think it's like, I mean, it's reassuring to know that, uh, you know, in most situations, you don't have to know the program inside and out. Like, you know, the sounds are going to be there for you. It's going to be programmed for you. It kind of becomes just part of your choreography um, exactly uh so yeah i, ugh, I, I yeah it gives me agita like a, the thought of ableton just like i had i you know i'm learning logic and and getting you know finding my ditto. way around there um and you know q robinson who uh uh hooked us up um is just a an Ableton wizard and he's tried yes. to like show me some things here and there and, and he gets about six minutes into it and I'm like, uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Time's up. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it, and I had taken some courses in it and I, you know, I had done some stuff through Berkeley with basic Ableton and, you know, I felt like maybe I knew it. And then I watched Mason with all this, you know, programming crap. And I was like, I don't have a clue in the grand scheme of this, you know, but, but he, you know, I knew enough how to troubleshoot some things and how to problem solve some things and, you know, how to, how to maneuver it relative to the show. And that's really all that matters is is getting through the show as, as good as you can. And I had, I had brought somebody down to watch the book to potentially sub and, you know, kind of a, a big, Broadway dude, you know, somebody who works a lot in the community. And Mm -hmm. he watched me, he watched me do all that. And he was like, yeah, I don't know about this. He's like, this isn't for me. I don't, I just, I don't want any part of it. And I'm like, fair, fair enough. I get it. Yeah. Totally get it. In terms of like following, uh, you know, a conductor, an MD or whatever, something I'm realizing is that, you know, our, our experience as drummers in a band, whether it's a rock band or a jazz group or whatever, like, if if you're doing your job, you're taking physical cues from whoever. It's usually like the front man or the front woman, the lead singer or whatever. Um, but I'm I'm curious in like whether it was in uh, Antigone or with Rob Thomas or some other thing. Like, did you kind of hone that skill earlier in your career and then be able to apply it to like okay, now it's an actual conductor with actual. Um, you know, with actual cues and, and, uh, did that, did that translate? Somewhat. I mean, obviously following a conductor in a show is going to feel and look a lot different than, but than somebody in a rock band, but, but conceptually it's, it's the same idea. You have to be really aware. You have to read them and their body language and understand what that means for them. Right. And I was going to say, like you said, you said every M, every MD has a different, you know, ictus and different cutoff (laughs) gestures. And, um, uh, so yeah, I would imagine that if you're like, if you're kind of physically and visually intuitive, uh, in that way, then, uh, that, that goes a long way. Absolutely. And, and you learn in any ensemble situation, 
who the, who the go-to is. Right. You know? and, and, <laughs> and with with Antigone, back in our, our earlier years and our earlier configuration, <clears throat> we were a five-piece. And uh, we did a lot of stretching out. So there were moments where the song wouldn't be the same every night. Necess- I mean, some of them were top to bottom pop songs. You know, we did it this way, you know, top, top to bottom the same way every night. But there were some songs where we would stretch and, and just go off. And in certain moments, I'd be following the singer. In certain moments, I'd be following the guitar player. In certain mo- you know, I, would, I knew where to go to get my cue based upon the song, based upon the section of the song. Generally speaking, it was the lead singer. And same with Rob. You know, Rob... Well, that's not true. Matt Beck is the the music director for for Rob, and he would be he was right next to me, so I would get a lot of stuff from him in moments. But then I'd be watching Rob once we got into the tune, and if there weren't any solos or any extended sections, my eyes would be on Rob the whole time yeah. for that reason, you know. But not that he was necessarily giving any cues, but just in case, because he's the band, you know, essentially he's the band leader. He's the front man. Right. You know, I mean, need to, to keep my eyes on him. So. Right. And yeah. yeah, in that situation, it's it's not like they're, uh, you know, giving you sort of really uh, explicit cues. But if, like exactly. I said, if you're intuitive about it, you can tell from their body language if they want you to lay back a little bit or if totally. they want you to like <clears throat> lay into the backbeat a little bit more, or, you know, totally. and they might not even realize they're doing it. Like they're, you know, they're not getting something and it's manifesting in their body language somehow. Totally. <laughs> totally. And you have to be a mind reader. Right. <laughs> Easy. website and uh just sort of uh, there's you know a bunch of credits listed there many of whom are, are recognizable names but the one that jumped out at me and i that i want to nerd out about for a second is is uh leland sklar like in what yeah. in what capacity did you get to play with with lee sklar on bass uh well this is an interesting story so <clears throat> at the time we had gotten signed we went out to la to make our first record which <laughs> never got released. You know how that goes. Yeah. Uh, so our first release came a couple of years later after many, you know, a couple of go rounds with studio stuff. And, you know, we didn't have the single, the lead single, and we didn't have the right song and blah, 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 whatever. But the first go round was out in LA and um, our lead singer was not happy with uh, our bassist's performance and she spoke to the producer about that and the producer arranged for you know some session bassists to come in and and redo the the bass parts and Lee did the majority of them so we were never in the room together mm-hmm. but um my bandmates were with him obviously i had i was rooming with the bass player so like i had to keep her away from the studio because she wasn't supposed to know i mean it was such a, a, a oh bad my situation God. <laughs> it was it was awful and so i was i was not only did i feel sick about the whole thing but i also obviously wanted to be in the room <laughs> with yeah. him when he was when he was tracking to my drums but he was apparently as as the story goes was like who's the drummer and he wrote me a note which i have framed hanging on my wall oh how cool is that i don't know i don't know if it was on my website but it just says you know to dina you rock so hard all my best leland sklar so it's yeah that was pretty awesome and um and it was it was so cool i saw him at at nam uh a number of years later and i went up to him and i said 
you're probably not going to remember this, but, and he was like, Antigone Rising. He's like, oh, you're the drummer. Wow. He, like, he remembered right away. I couldn't believe it. My, my mind was blown. But yes, that was, that was pretty awesome. That's so cool because like I, yeah. I imagine that he's that kind of guy, you know, yeah. and, and when you find out that somebody is that kind of dude, uh, that's just, yeah. that's, a, that's a great story. And, yeah, you know, yeah. when, we've, we've talked so much on the podcast just about relationships um, and uh, like that's, you know, we we talk a lot about the the relationships that we have for a long time, and the you know the the ride or die people that we play with our whole life and whatever. Um, but uh, we've also talked about just those sort of like um, I don't know what to call them, like a single serving relationship. You know, just like a pos- some kind of positive um, uh, brush <laughs> with another person. That and you 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 know you may never play with Lee Sklar. Uh, on the same stage, um, but you know he, you you have this little relationship. He knows who you are. You know the next time you see him, it's going to be like, hey, how are you doing? You know, and and uh, uh, I, I I just love that about about our industry is that if if totally if both people are cool <laughs> um, and and just sort of outgoing in that way, you don't have to be super close with someone or even you know play in the same room with them to, to form that little kind of touch point, that little relationship um, that may or may not uh, result in, you know, work or anything like that. But it's, it's just sure. like a, you know, this is that like that, you know, you have this little framed note from Lee Sklar and, and that's just an example of, of like why we do what we do and why it's fucking cool. Totally. It's the best, truly the best. Yeah. Like I, and I loved being on tour for that reason. It was, it was always like I would blow and everybody. Oh, how was you know how was Salt Lake City? Like, I don't know. I drove in. <laughs> we loaded our shit into the room. We played a show and we loaded our shit out and left. Like right. I don't know. <laughs> Look good from the window. Like, I got right. you know. But uh, you know, it it would always go through my head as you drove into a new town, a new city. And you look at these people and you think, like, why are they here? And what, like, what brought them here? And what's, like, what's their deal? And, you know, and then you have this this brief exchange where they come to your show and they hear, you know, they see you and hear you play music. And, you know, you were sort of connected, sort of, you know, sort of for an hour and a half or two hours. And then they go back, they they disappear back into their life and, and you go on to the next city. And it, yeah. I don't know, there's something about that to me that's just really cool. I always loved it. I, I do miss touring. I will say that as mm-hmm. much as I love Broadway, I was always, you know, geared for that. I don't know why it must be a, a short circuit in my brain that, you know, <laughs> ha- ha- lets me enjoy touring, which most people hate, but I do like it. And I, I miss that, you know, I miss that randomness, Yeah. you know, ne- never knowing who you're going to encounter and never knowing what the venue is going to look like. And you walk in and you know, sometimes it's great and sometimes it sucks. And, you know, it's it's the flip a coin thing. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. And the, yeah. there was always uh, an enjoyment that, you know, for me with that. Yeah, so. I learned I learned to like that um, because I'm I'm not someone who's predisposed to enjoy um, unpredictability <laughs> to begin with. But, you know, in as I got more and more experience on the road, I found um, just a certain a certain freedom in the rootlessness, you know, totally. like I wasn't, I wasn't excited about the unexpected, but I, I just sort of learned to like, let my legs go out from under me and just like, we're out here, man, this is what it is. And some of it's going to suck and some of it's going to be great. But, uh, you know, there's, there's tons of shit to experience and see out here. So, uh, don't, yep. don't get, don't get wrapped around the axle about, um, you know, less than less than ideal uh whatever whether it's accommodations or food or or mix or (laughs) you know right Um, right which invariably is going to happen of course of course just you roll with it and talking about like you you mentioned how when you're on tour like you you know you play a show for some people and you're just connected briefly with them and then you go your separate ways i think the same thing happens on on a musical because like however long the run is you know, you're like, you're in the trenches with this big army of people and, you know, like between shows, between the matinee and the evening show, you're hanging out with costume people and like, and you get really close. It becomes this little family. Um, and then when the show's over, everybody's like done. Totally. And it's, I cried like a baby when head (laughs) over heels, when we, I mean, not, you know, not to sound like a girl, but you know, I I was a little emotional about it. And, and, uh, 
I, for that reason. And I, it, A, it was my first, so it was extra special. Mm-hmm. You know, my first show will always, will always be very, very near and dear to my heart. But um, the subject matter was really special. The people were very special. It was just, it was such like a life altering experience on so many levels for me. And it was hard to say, knowing that you wouldn't see these people, you know, you may turn up on a gig with some of them, you know, the, the band, you know, we text a lot and we email a lot and we'll see each other around town. And, you know, I, I've worked with a couple of them on other things and, you know, I know that we'll, we'll always be tight and that's cool. But, you know, some of the, the actors and the, uh, you know, the set people and things like that, you know, some of them I'm, I'm still in touch with. We follow each other on social media and I've had some interactions with them and um, I ran into a couple of them here and there and it's big hugs and it's, you know, it's, it's like old home week every time you see them. And right, it's right. not like, it's not like they look at you like, who are you? Like <sighs> they know who I am and they're happy to see me. And that's cool because, you know, going back to the hierarchy of things in a Broadway musical, which is so counterintuitive, right? You think musical, the band should be super important, but you realize that it's so not really about you. It's about what's happening on stage. We, you know, we support what's happening on stage, but yeah. the focus is not us, is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so, totally. You, uh, It's good you mentioned that because like you, you kind of touched on it earlier, because, but... Um, you know the the band and the music and the musicians are all secondary to the director, the choreographer, the performers' um, sort of uh, uh, abilities or preferences. You know, yep. which which change night to night. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you you might be like, oh, she's kind of winded tonight. We better <laughs> slow this down so that the choreography is uh, you know whatever. Um, but and again, counterintuitive to all of that, you would think like Head Over Heels with the Go-Go's music, you know, they're a punk-influenced band. Some of the, temp, like, the tunes are pretty up-tempo. There's one tune that is marked at 198, and our, our the, the lead, the principal for that number, because it was so hard because of what she was doing on stage, it was crazy. Like, she's rolling around, and she's flailing, and she's throwing shit. She's basically having, like, a nervous breakdown and a temper tantrum on stage to this music. Mm-hmm. And she wanted it faster. And I'm playing eighth notes on the hi-hat. And she's like, I want it. So we ended up doing it at like 2.12, 2.15. And I'm like flying with my right hand playing the eighth notes. And I was like, oh, my God, can we slow this shit down? Like, I can barely play this. <laughs> she's like, faster, faster. I'm like, oh, my, oh my God. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to your point, yes, it's about what they need. You know, right. oh, my, I'm in I'm in bad voice today. We got to go faster so I don't have to hold my notes as long. You yeah. Know, that kind and of stuff. In, in that situation, like the need was emotional. The need like sometimes you have to adjust because of a physical preference or yep. a physical limitation or whatever. But other times, yep. like the you know, the emotional story on stage is what you're making the sound of. Um, totally. So you have to you have to do that, whatever it is. Um, so it, you know, we've, we've talked with a lot of people about how COVID has sort of, uh, caused them to reprioritize or recalibrate or just reimagine what their career looks like and what kind of musician they want to be. But it, it seems kind of like you just want to get back to plan A in the theater (laughs) ASAP. Yeah. And I feel really lucky that I really, really love what I do and I love the people who I get to do it with mm-hmm. and not having seen them for so long and not, it's such a weird thing. It's hard to explain, but like you walk into the theater every day and, you know, you see these people and I just, I just light up on the inside, you mm-hmm. know, it just makes me happy to, to get to do this and to watch their brilliance every night and um, to see them shine and to be to be a part of that, to be a supporting part of that. It's just really, you know, my whole thing as a drummer, I'm I'm definitely like a Ringo. I want to play for the song. I want to support the song. I don't care about chops. I don't care about flash. I never spend time learning how to solo. Admittedly, I suck at it. It's not my thing. It makes me nervous if somebody says, you, you, you know, you got to take a solo. I like, I freak out. Like, it's just, it's not in my DNA. It's yeah. not who I am. Yeah. I grew up a, a sports kid. I'm all about a team. You know, I'm a team mentality. That's just who I am. That's what I do best. And so for me with that, Broadway is a perfect fit and I thrive in that environment and I love that environment and I love the people. And so, yes, I'm excited to get back by the time we get into rehearsals. I haven't heard exactly when we go back, but likely sometime in August, 
it will be like a year and a half since I've seen some of these people. Yeah, and yeah. it's crazy that you spend every day with them in a room, you know, in rehearsals and six days a week and, you know, nine hours a day and you're in that. And then you go to the theater and you're in tech for 12 hours a day for, you know, a week or two. And then, you know, you do the show and you have opening night and it's a party and it's just this, this great, you know, jubilant environment to have been annihilated the way that it was by COVID has just been so hard. And I'm really looking forward to that all coming back. That being said, I'm also equally excited that I had the opportunity to, you know, develop some skills with virtual clinics and being able to record and I can do sessions and people can, you know, I've been doing stuff with my music director from Little Shop. He reached out to me Mm -hmm. most recently and I've been doing a bunch of stuff for him. Oh, cool. Like, that's been awesome. So, I, you know, I welcome the opportunity to continue to do that. That's a nice thing that I have in my back pocket. Right. That I didn't have, and I can thank COVID for that. But it, it sounded, you know, one of the, it sounds like you had contentment before COVID um, with yes. what you were doing. And, and that's, it's, it's something that I don't think gets talked about often enough. Um, I, I interviewed uh, Bill Stewart, who is one of my absolute heroes, uh, a couple years back, and I asked him, uh, you know, is, is there anything that like you haven't done? Is there anyone you want to play with? Like what's next on the horizon? Do you want to like break into like some new style or some new influence? Like what's next for Bill Stewart? And he was like, no, I'm like, I'm good. He was like, I, I love the people I play with. I love the music I play and I'm going to keep doing that. And that was kind of the first time it dawned on me. Like, well, you, you don't have to constantly just be like, hustle, 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 next, next, next. Like when you find, uh, you know, a, an existence in music that, that fulfills you, um, uh, it's, it's hard to resist, you know, what we're told we have to do, which is just expand and hustle and, and, uh, get, you know, move, move forward with stuff. It's like, no, you can just stay where you're at and enjoy that and kick ass at it in perpetuity in some cases. Right. Right. And I'm super good doing this. I love it. I would, you know, obviously I'm always open to, you know, doing tours and working with national artists and, you know, doing things of that nature that still interests me and excites me. Mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily had the opportunity recently, but I, I welcome that and hope that that comes along as well. The beauty of having a Broadway show is you can take time off and go do things like that and come back and still go back and it's your chair. You know, you right. can go back to work and have what you had. So that's kind of an additional blessing, you know, in addition to the the steady work, you you also have freedom to sub out and go do other things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's really the best of both worlds for yeah. me and I I just love it. Cool, cool. Well, thanks so much for talking. This was really fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good luck with the the virtual thing and and we'll be looking for uh the the grand reopening in the fall. Yes. What yes. theater is that so, at? It's at the West Side Theater, which is on 43rd and 9th Avenue. So it's kind of in the in the in the mix there. It's mm-hmm. not even though it's off Broadway, it's not too far off. It's it's pretty much right there and right. it's a great beautiful old theater and you know, a brilliant cast and wonderful music and it's a super fun show. But even if that doesn't interest you, I encourage you to, if you're able to just support the Broadway community, because we really, we really could use a, a big welcome back after yeah. all this time off. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Right Thanks on. Thanks again. Thank you. There you have it. Dina Toriello. What a cool story about landing in a lane that seemed unlikely at one time, but actually ends up being the perfect fit. And like we said, as things open back up here, if you're in the New York area, go check her out with Little Shop of Horrors, along with all the other hardworking badasses on the musical theater scene over there. Next week, Matthew Krauss will be talking with L.A. hard rocker Jeff Fab, who plays with Zach Wilde's Black Label Society, among others. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, get vaxxed, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.